Hello and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. This is episode 54 and this week I'm joined by Dominic and Doris, both of a group called Family Hippocampus. In this episode, we unpack the hidden risk in wealth successions and that is stonewalling. What does that mean? Dominic and Doris came up with this concept based on a metaphor using the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And stonewalling is one of the horsemen in relationships, basically indicating that the beginning of the end. What does this have to do with family businesses? A lot. (laughs) In their words, stonewallers don't share much about their world with others. When all wisdom about wealth creation and wealth preservation is concentrated in one person, this constitutes a keen man risk and has severe implications on both successions and business continuity. So if you didn't catch on, they're talking about founders and why it is business founders, first generation, really struggle to share much about their world with others and the implication of this stonewalling. What does this mean for successors? And most importantly, having learned about the situation, what can we do as next gens to navigate such situations? So tune in and enjoy. Hi, Dominic and Doris. It's lovely to have you today on The Connected Generation. You're welcome. Thank you, Nika. Thank you for inviting us. Awesome. So I'll start with you, Dominic. Tell us more about your journey. How did you end up establishing Family Hippocampus? And tell us more about what Family Hippocampus actually does. Well, thanks, Nika. So I am a curious mind and try to understand more about my own life as a family member of a business family, which is now in the fifth generation. So, you know, having this privileged access to experiential information combined with a scientific mindset, I think it would be good to also make a difference to the business family community by sharing, learning, and developing. And it's a bit like with being alone is one thing, but it's a bit like in the brain. When you only have one urine, you can't form a thought. So I like the idea of having people I can share the thoughts with to generate collective intelligence. So during the course of my activities in the family business world and the family office world, I met my fellow hippocampi. And I asked them if they'd be interested in co-creating Family Hippocampus. So Family Hippocampus is not all about me. It's about the group. And we also like to put our brains together, our curiosity and our diverse mindsets and exchange experiences and thoughts in an environment of psychological safety. And when it comes to research, every research is driven by some form of instinct to know where to look for and what to ask for. This is where it comes to part, because in Family Hippocampus, we're all family members, and that basically drives the research questions and also the analysis. And yeah, so that basically is now a small group. We like small because it's all about creating collective intelligence, not to have a massive network, even though we understand the value of network and the empowerment through networks. But it is a small group of various disciplines from behavioral economics, mediation, NLP, coaching, trust management, cultural experts. I work a lot with neurocognitive neuroscience and complexity theory. And it's exciting what we can generate together, what we can do together. Amazing. 
getting to where you are today, I'm sure you must have faced some obstacles. Can you tell us a bit more about those challenges and how you overcame them? So I think the biggest challenge currently is how to connect group members and stay connected. It would be all nice if you could go to a retreat and have a weekend and an offsite. Now that is not happening. Still, we want to create a network density so that the connection lines are not over a few network nodes, but there's a direct connection. For now, we are doing a lot of Zoom calls. So people arranging one-on-one Zoom calls to get to know each other better and to keep the momentum going. Then we have a weekly where we meet all together and exchange. But I think this is the current challenge that is not unique to Family Hippocampus. But anyhow, the whole world will and desire is... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the will and desire is there to really keep on working together. I think the irony is, even though we've been all very isolated, I found that through 2020, it was a year of connection for me. I met so many amazing people like yourself virtually, was able to still cultivate relationships and build connection with people. So really grateful for technology. I can't imagine going through all of this without being able to bond with people, whether it's virtually. It's not as great as in person, but we make do with what we have. No, for sure. I mean, it's obviously reduced to mainly the visual and the auditory sensory system. Mm -hmm. which is not enough for us to have a relationship. But in any case, we are sanguine that the situation will change and then finally come all together in one room and have a great party. (laughs) Party will be very welcome. And Doris, just want to know more about at what point did your path cross with Dominic's and why did you decide to join Family Hippocampus? Thank you, Nika, for this question. I and Dominic met A couple of years ago at a family office conference, we started discussing and we found so many synergies. And we also realized we have many friends in family business in common. I and Dominic connected over family dynamics and many things uh, like, for example, experiential information. We we realized we both like to write articles, running interviews, collecting data from our families in business. We like to co-present, network together. That's why we decided to found Family Hippocampus. Basically, Family Hippocampus for us is a safe space for our family business friends, where we like to exchange experiences, not only between me and Dominic, but also with them. I find this safe space special because we can learn from one another, we can share insights, and we can assist each other in the development of ourselves and others. Before setting up Family Hippocampus, we are already discussing a lot about our own experiences of unplanned succession, especially in my family. When I was 25 years old, my father passed away without having planned for anything. And discussing with Dominic and my other friends, I realized I'm not the only one. Unfortunately, back then, when my father passed away, I didn't have people to refer. I just had my consultants and I realized they had a vested interest Plus, consultants are different from family members, so they see the situation under a different point of view. Like, for example, when my father passed away, we were during a crisis and our consultants computed the total market value according to the current situation and they said to us, sell everything and live happily. But I and my brothers instead decided to keep together because a family business 
is more just a calculation of a market value. And this is something that family members understand more than consultants. So that's why for us, Family Hippocampus is really a safe space where family members meet to ask for advice, share experiences, help find a role model. That's also important. It's basically a sounding board. Once you are in a difficult situation, helps you realize the way out from a situation and find the right family strategy. It's basically like my go-to place for collaborative intelligence and learning about the generational divide and bridging the gap across generations. Thank you for that. And it open for family businesses anywhere to join? Should yes, anyone absolutely. Be? We like to yeah. collect more experiences from other family businesses. And I think the more, the better. So it depends what you mean with joining. So we as a group, we want to keep small. So it's not mm-hmm. a membership club in that sense that we can grow the membership to, I don't know, 200 people. It is really, we are about 10 people and we want to keep it that small to be able to generate this, this collaborative intelligence. However, going out to family businesses, speak with family businesses, conduct research, mm-hmm. doing the learning. Learning is not only that we share, that we also learn from the interaction with family businesses, conduct the research, and then again, share it back to the community mm-hmm. and do some development around it. That is where we are obviously open and want to understand more about the family businesses in the world, mm-hmm. how they think, what they do, what the dynamics are. And mind you, Family Hippocampus, we are multicultural and multilingual. So it's also very interesting to have not only the intellectual diversity, mm-hmm. but also the diversity in terms of gender, the diversity in terms of cultural backgrounds, language backgrounds, and all that. So this is very exciting. Excellent. Really important work you're doing. I must applaud you. And what are the common challenges you observe family businesses having when it comes to crossing generational bridges, trying to move from whether it's first to second or second to third gen? So in general, I think it is about different mindsets, different belief bubbles, different mental models of the world. So again, I can give you also an example of from my family, the third generation, which was recently still completely in charge, wouldn't understand the mindset and the mental model and the beliefs of the fourth generation. Now we already have the fifth generation, which yet has another set of beliefs. Mm. is about connecting these mental models of the world, connecting the beliefs and changing mindsets to incorporate the different mental models of the world and synchronize them for generative collaboration. Mm. This is sometimes a very hard thing to do and certainly doesn't come out of the system and out of the blue. But you had prime exposure to such a situation in your family with your succession. Absolutely. The main challenge within my family is that it was very difficult to have open and non judgmental communication across generations. So basically, our father was completely walled up, but also I and my brothers. Both generations were under pressure for different mm-hmm. reasons. For us, the younger generation, there was a pressure to take over the family business, while for my father, there was a pressure to let it go. And He dedicated all his life for the business. Uh, He had no 
other passion in life. So of course, nowadays I realize it was difficult for him as well. And unfortunately, there was also difficult communication with our consultants because they had a huge prejudice against me, especially third generation young woman. And my eldest brother was trusting the consultant 100%. And I really struggled to find my role and my voice within my family business. After a while, we decided to change consultants and we found a third party who's more a mediator, a person who's able to listen. He Mm. put together certain procedures within my family meetings so that I and also my mom and also the spouses found our voices. And from there, it was like a game changer. I want to hear more about that, actually. We often talk about the two generations hearing the voices of the generations. We don't often talk about moms. Usually mom is behind the scenes. And we don't often talk about in-laws. What's your perspective or what was your experience with including mom and the in-laws' voices in legacy planning? In my case, of course, it's more difficult We have a meeting of different minds around the table. I'm a great believer of diversity. But the important thing is to have the same purpose and also a mediator who helps mediate among the parts and who also helps all people around the table find their own role and own voice. When this happens, as in the group theory, this helps to generate diversity within a group. Amazing. And I read this incredible article by you both on stonewalling as a hidden risk in wealth succession. What is stonewalling and how does it happen and why does it happen? So stonewalling is a phenomenon not only be seen in families and the core of it is to do with the neural economy of change. So as we go through life, we build a set of data and experiences. And every information that we gather, we reference against our basic needs, physiological needs and psychological needs for survival. And incoming information is given meaning and matched against these matrices. And whatever is being perceived as threat, there is a natural tendency to respond to it by defending, by protecting. And then the next question is, what has a patriarch to defend? So as Boris mentioned earlier, the patriarch worked all his life to create the business. That was his purpose. He attaches himself, he identifies himself with the business. He is the business. And he's very endowed to what he has created. It is his And in behavioral economics, it's called the endowment effect. You value something much higher than others or than the market. Why? Merely because you own it. So the patriarch Mm. has done everything. It's his purpose. He has it. It's his. Now he's been asked to give it up. Mm. So basically he's faced with a situation of change. Give something up. And then, yeah, there's something in return. And I refer that back to the prospect theory, which was created by Daniel Kahneman, Nobel Prize winner for behavioral economics. It is basically that when we have to give something up, when we lose, we find this two times harder than we win. 
Now bring this back to the situation of change. I know quite well what I have, what I have to give up. I'm not too sure about what I'm getting. Plus, what I'm getting, I'm very unsure of. Mm. So it has less value also for me in terms of evaluating it because winning something is one time good, losing something is two times bad. So mm. here is a strong incentive to say, no, hang on a minute, before I give up anything, I need to think this over. But is the patriarch thinking in that situation? Because remember, he is threatened. He feels threatened by that situation mm. because he stands to lose what? He's afraid of losing his purpose. Hmm. Then he's identified with the business. He's losing his identity. Now, the identity is a structure of self. It's a habit of mind, and it is very rigid. Together with the purpose, it really drives our beliefs, our values, our capabilities, and our behavior. So a very deep neurological level. Then imagine the patriarch, like also you know, many people are, just the way society has actually imprinted us, we are often of a fixed mindset and the soldier mindset, <laughs> meaning that with our naive realism, we say, look, this is the way it is, and whatever threatens it, I need to defend it. And obviously, I can't change my mind because of a fixed mind. So either you come my way or there's no way. Now, what does he do with all that, defending identity on purpose? Well, he's building a wall. Mm. The illusion of safety. Because behind the wall, no one can attack me. Yeah. But obviously, that wall has loopholes. Why? So I can fight. So I shoot out to fight, to defend, and have this wall where I can retire. There's my flight reaction. So basically, this is what I describe with a stonewalling. We build a wall to hide behind it and have the illusion of safety, and everything is fine. Mm. Well, the problem is, that wall building is obviously a stress response in itself. It exacerbates our tunnel view, our biases that we have, and it's highly stressful to keep it alive, to keep it up, mm. which causes health issues. Stress levels go up, and prolonged chronic stress levels attack the immune system and makes it more prone to bad things like cancer, which then obviously can lead to death at the expense of the legacy and the family. Wow. <laughs> this is completely mind-blowing because I think quite often in the industry, very few people come with a view of empathy towards founders. And your analysis of identity, purpose, and the whole reasoning for stonewalling, I think is really important for next-gens, other family members, other non-family staff advisors to really begin to empathize. Otherwise, we will literally just be preaching at founders instead of really engaging them. Absolutely. I think it's a death spiral. Also, the next generation obviously digs in their heels. So it becomes a situation of position trading. Hmm. And the founder is judging me, has exhibits a confirmation bias, which means he or she basically just sees evidence confirming my beliefs that I have formed and would mm -hmm. cut out all the counter evidence that might be there. And the next generation also retires. Starts with empathy, understanding what's going on for the other side, the theory of mind. Only then 
can a conversation around this topic happen, I think. Really important. Doris, I don't know if you have any additional points, perhaps from your experience on the stonewalling phenomenon. I really like what you said, Nike, before. I think an important point is also to empathize with the founders. And I think I wish I and my brothers did it uh, with our father as well. I mean, he was very busy working in his business and probably we could also have done something more in order to start a constructive and open communication together with him. I really wish we did it because when my father passed away, there was no succession plan in place. We didn't know how to be hoteliers. We were completely lost. And at the time, I couldn't even find a support group of independent interest. And we were basically led by consultants who had their own vested interest in having us sell uh, all the business. And so the earlier, the better. It's important to start the conversation and don't wait for the patriarch to start it. Probably it's the next gen who needs to take the lead. And so continuing on that line of thought, what practical tips do you have for next gens that may be in this situation dealing with a patriarch that is displaying stonewalling behavior? What tips do you have for them to kind of overcome this? In my view, for sure, uh, ask for help from a third party, a coach uh, or also a friend within the family who's able to listen and also help the family to have some procedures in place during family meetings. And then, of course, also refer to supporting groups of other families who are going through similar dynamics. That would be very important. Dominic, do you have any thoughts on that as well? Yeah, I think Doris is right in saying, don't go it on your own, consult someone. In the end, the patriarch builds the wall because he's vulnerable and he Hmm. has a hard time to accepting this vulnerability. But creating a safe space for him, maybe not the next gen all on their own, and the next gen being able to demonstrate that they mean to active listening, to understand and really empathize with what the patriarch is going through. Because mind you, the autonomy of conflict, we all start from our positions. Mm. These positions actually protect our interests and our interests are protecting our real needs. And like the next generation, the patriarch has needs. Mm -hmm. He may be less open to talk about these needs. So it is the art of communication and the art of being authentic in listening, suspending judgment, and empathizing with the patriarch so that he feels, right, yeah, yeah, okay, now I see these people really understand me. Mm. I think this is the moment where things can turn. It doesn't necessarily is the end, it's just the beginning, but it's a very important turning point. Again, this is so important because it's not spoken about much that the founder is the patriarch may be vulnerable. And so one needs to demonstrate empathy to create that connection with the founder. I wonder how did you do that? How can a next gen, for instance, you know, show that authentic connection with the patriarch to foster, to create that vulnerability? I think it starts with the individual, when a next gen really means it, he or she will look into self first. 
then try to develop an understanding of what the patriarch is going through and then find a way how to connect with the patriarch, which may through, be through family governance, mm-hmm. through a friend. I don't mean to triangulate, but just have a, sort of an introduction. Because the implications, you know, the scenario that you painted, the health implications for the founders, it's crazy to think that this is all from, as a result of potentially stonewalling. So the founder does need some assistance. So we avoid that kind of a scenario. You might be resistant to that. So when you go to the founder and say, look, founder, I think you're vulnerable. You have a problem. You're stonewalling. You need help. Yeah. Go to a coach and say, I'm I'm not sick. (laughs) Get the hell out of here. So this is what I mean, starting with self and then Mm -hmm. have a mediated introduction. Mm-hmm. Because whatever you say, and that's the other thing, when you are already in a situation where you stonewall, you are extremely vulnerable, you're extremely stressed, and whatever comes towards you is a potential threat. And you do not have the mental capacity to integrate novelty in your life because your prefrontal cortex, where the logical thinking takes place, is being shut down by your emotions. Mm. This is what happens to us in a stress response when we have a flight, fight, or freeze reaction. We cannot think clearly. We're even more irrational. So don't come to the patriarch when he's in his position, fighting for his survival, and then try to reason with him. He won't be able to listen. Hmm. Structurally, he is not able to listen. So this is what I mean with start with yourself, then have a mediated introduction, because the patriarch inevitably must not know this, but he must be mediated to calm down to be able to listen. So this is basically conflict management. So there's not an outspoken conflict where we say, look, either we go to court or we mediate. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is implicit. Implicit. Wow. I can literally ask you a hundred questions on this. I find this absolutely fascinating. It's really psychology. Yes, it is psychology, sociology, cognitive neuroscience is, uh, fascinates me to look into because it explains a lot of ingrained day-to-day behavior. Incredible. And you mentioned different generations often have different mindsets and they may have different values. They may have different interests. What are your thoughts on how NextGens, for instance, and founders can collaborate when they have so many differences? I think what Doris already alluded to is having a common purpose is obviously helpful. So what we recently thought about within Family Hippocampus is the idea of narrative-embedded family governance. Because what does that mean? In the end, when we're looking at a family system with different belief systems and different stories, they don't have a story they share. Mm -hmm. They don't have a mental model they share. They don't have a shared reality. Mm -hmm. They don't make shared meaning. Everyone makes their own meaning, which may or may not be compatible with the customer. So how to bring these people together? Traditionally, it's been done through family governance. We have a couple of points to talk about. Then we derive some rules, regulations, and principles, put it in the book, and that book ends up where? On the shelf. It doesn't connect the system. Mm -hmm. So what we thought is, so what could be an alternative way? And the idea is to create a family narrative. And this is very different from a chronology. It is really finding the narrative fragments that slumber in each family member and 
co-create from this a narrative which everyone likes to read, associates with, and likes to live and reflect upon while they're sitting on the train. That doesn't happen with family constitutions. So creating such a family narrative creates system awareness, synchronizes the system, synchronizes the brain. And that has also been evidenced in neuroscience that when we all three listen to one story, that our brain activity synchronizes. The same effect we want to create in families. So it's the first step to create a shared and common reality, which includes a common purpose, which emerges from that process. And the process is more important than the final work. However, as we think it, the final work is also something you would like to take on a trip and read and reflect upon. In that kind of mental framework, you still can do the family constitutions, which are then more specific. But it starts with bringing the system together, with aligning the mental models of the world. And what you also will find is that these non-compatible mental models of the world are latent conflict. So aligning them preemptively to our mind makes a lot of sense. Incredible. Doris, I wondered if you have any thoughts on how the different generations can collaborate. Absolutely. I'm a big believer of group thinking and uh, diversity is beautiful. And within my family and also other families I know, we believe in the importance of uh, integrating uh, women, uh, next generation spouses in uh, family meetings. That's so important. Also related to spouses, because spouses at the end of the day are in charge of grooming the next generation. So they are very important Mm. part of Mm. the family. Of course, Integrating different perspectives, different values, different people, especially when the family grows, it's not easy. That's why I think it's very important to have some certain processes in family meetings to allow for every family member to have a voice and a role, to create this safe space and to speak in an emotional language, which works better than pure rational language among family members. And also related to the next gen, I'm currently trying to bring in my next generation. So this means the fourth generation in the family business. I see my nieces and my nephews, they are around 20 and 25 years old. And I'm starting from the eldest one. She reminds me when I was 25 years old, the year my father passed away. And I tell them our family stories and uh, I try to explain how important it is to start uh, getting involved in the family business, not waiting for their parents to get them involved, but to try to show their interest and get involved. Incredible. Do you have any additional points, Dominic? Yeah, I think Doris's point, what Doris is obviously doing is she's actively inviting the next generation to become successes. I also have a document where I think about our successes made or born. And successes are made. The trouble is, and here again, empathy for the patriarch. He's busy with building the business. He doesn't have much time. But then there must be a time where he's also investing in the next generation in terms of making the successes. So Doris is basically making the successor, which is brilliant. I think this is the way forward. But what I usually say to my next gen is don't wait for the seniors to bring them in start on your own project, show interest. And then once the seniors see that there is also intention from them, then everything is easier. 
is also a way to evidence yourself. Instead of, I do nothing and then I say, now seniors, ask me if I want to come in. They just say, look, you see how I work, you see I want it. So the previous generation basically has no chance other than inviting the next generation to step up their game. Especially if you think nowadays that is with social media are so important and our next generation can bring fresh new ideas to the business. I think for them, this moment is a great opportunity to mm. start getting involved in the family business and help the senior generation. Wow. This has been an incredible conversation. I've learned so much from both of you. It's been so insightful, very meaty. If anyone wants to get in touch with you that listens to this, they'd like to learn more about your work, how best can they reach you, Nick? So we obviously have a LinkedIn page, but if anyone wants to be directly in contact, info at family-hippocampus.com. Awesome. And you, Doris? I'm part of uh, Family Hippocampus. Okay, awesome. Absolutely. So I'll, we'll include the email in the show notes and the LinkedIn page as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you, Nika. It's uh, been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure indeed. Thank you. I loved this conversation. I was in complete awe and I could literally just go on and on and ask them questions for days. But Dominic and Doris are fascinating. They are both family business insiders as well as academics. And I loved how they unpacked the reasons why we see stonewalling. And I also love this confluence between the practical and the academic. And they provide insights from neuroscience on decision-making and also from decision-making from a behavioral economics perspective. So it was just so fascinating. I love Renee Brown and came across one of Concepts, her theories recently, and she's an advocate of grounded theory. Grounded theory is basically that when we have outliers, we should always consider and integrate all outliers. We should hear all voices, we should acknowledge all voices, and we should make them to belong when it comes to outliers. The interesting thing is, I'd been stewing on that concept for some time, and I didn't realize it, but I was quick to place labels and to categorize in my mind in a family business context who are outliers. And in my mind, it was us next gens and women, those that are supposedly less privileged. I would never have considered business founders, founding gens as outliers, but it appears they are. It's a very lonely place to be a founder. And it brings me on to another question. Who is an outlier? Like, outliers are those that deviate from the norm, right? But who is the norm? Who's that best fit line, right? Who's on that line? Maybe the greatest leveler equalizer is that we are all outliers because we're all unique and individual. We all have struggles, challenges, and all face loneliness. So the greatest gift we can give each other is empathy. It's important that we lean in to discover everyone's voices, to acknowledge them, and to make everyone super long. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take good care and God bless you.